0: Extra Time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, a weekly podcast brought to you by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and this week we take a look at the appointment of a new coach of the National Women's Football Team as the football ferns come out of some troubled times. We also talk rugby, with provincial finals on and the All Blacks back in action – we get a viewpoint on the resignation of Olympic champion Hamish Carter from his role at High Performance Sport New Zealand and we hear from new Black Caps coach Gary Stead, head of the team's first games for seven months. After several months of turmoil, the football ferns finally have a new coach. Scotsman Tom Samani was officially announced in the role this week, replacing Andreas Haraf, after the Austrians' abrupt resignation during a review process that ultimately found he was guilty of bullying and intimidation during his time in charge. Samani has vast experience coaching women's teams, including the Australian side and powerful US squad. And NZF Interim Technical Director Andy Boyens told me the 64-year-old was a clear standout for the position.
1: Um, Obviously, you know, hugely experienced, um and uh, And to be fair, you know, a lot of the candidates had had good experience, but um, yeah where, where Tom stands out is he''s, um, he's a really good fit for us from a cultural pers- perspective, we believe. so uh, yeah, we think he's going to be able to come in and, and work with a group of players right away and um, and yeah start to move us towards where we want to be.
2: In terms of player involvement in this decision, what was the player's involvement in the recruitment process and the final decision?
1: Yeah, so we've worked very closely with the PFA, um, and the PFA represent the players. Um, so, uh, yeah, to the point that we had a, a member of the PFA on the on the panel, um, and and so yeah, in terms of that process, it's it's been uh, integrated with uh, with the PFA, um, who are the representative of the playing group. Tom's obviously got vast experience coaching women's teams.
2: Given Andreas obviously had a lack of experience in that department, was that a big part of,
1: I guess, deciding on Tom and putting him in the job? Yeah, look, I, I think as we kind of come out of, of the review, there are a few key things that we would like to consider um, when appointing a, a new coach to, to the football ferns. And um, yeah, experience in the women's game is one of those things, um, you know, amongst a number. So um, Tom has a, an abundance and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be able to come in and, and hit the ground running. There was a
2: perception with Andreas that he lacked
1: perhaps an understanding
2: of the Kiwi sporting psyche. What Kiwis are all about when it comes to sport—is that something you considered during this process?
1: Um, Look, as I mentioned earlier, the the cultural fit to to New Zealand, New Zealand football, and and the football ferns was a a big consideration, Um, and we feel that, that Tom is a very good fit for that. What is Tom's approach to team culture? What did you get out of him during the process? That
2: that stood out about his approach around building a team and a team environment.
1: Yeah, look, I'll, I'll let Tom talk to, to, to that more. But, um, look, Tom's an inclusive person. He's uh, he's um, really easy to get along with. And, um, yeah, I think he'll he'll be the one that will show you that approach for sure. Uh, Tom's uh,
2: said to have a good understanding of this current playing group. Can you explain that a bit more, what his understanding is of the current players that are in the Football Fern squad?
1: Yeah, so look, Tom's obviously been around um, women's football for for a long time. He's he's coached in this kind of part of the world, um, being with the Matildas for for you know two really big stints. Um, and during that time, and also his time in the women's game and professional leagues, he's um, he's gained a really good understanding of uh, of our, our playing group. Um, he's probably less understanding of, of the younger group coming through, um, but he'll have an opportunity to work with them and uh, and. Get give himself time to, to get to know them and, and move them to, to where they need to be. From what I can pick up, Tom sounds
2: like quite a laid-back individual. Is it fair to say it's quite contrasting with perhaps the style that Andreas brought to this role?
1: Oh, look, I think that's fair. Um, and again, I don't want to speak for Tom um, and, and he'll be able to, to take you through himself a little bit more. But um, look, his, his demeanour um, was something that, that is, was great to see throughout the process Um, but more importantly his uh, his ideas around football uh, around team and and around where he'd like to take the ferns were you know were were what were, were really good throughout the process.
2: And just finally he's obviously appointed until the end of next year's World Cup so what are New Zealand football's expectations
1: of him as a coach during that period? Look, uh, we need to qualify for a World Cup, um, and that's coming up in the Nations Cup in, in you know, a month's time. So um, our expectations are that we work really hard to do that. New Zealand
0: Football Interim Technical Director Andy Boyans there, speaking to me after the appointment of Tom Samani as the new coach of the National Women's side. There is plenty of rugby action this weekend with the All Blacks playing Australia in the final Bledisloe Cup match in Japan and the domestic finals in the Premiership and Championship division with Auckland hosting Canterbury and Otago playing Waikato. Sports editor Stephen Hewson discussed the matches ahead with our rugby reporter Joe Porter who was intrigued by Steve Hansen's selections for Yokohama.
3: I guess the two most interesting are probably Damian McKenzie coming in at fullback and getting a rare start and of course TJ Pettinata are taking over from Aaron Smith at halfback. So Damien McKenzie is touted as a future number 10, but obviously can still play fullback and has played most of his professional rugby as a fullback. So the All Blacks have talked about wanting to have two playmakers on the field at all times, and I guess that helps them in that respect. Um, although it pushes Ben Smith, who's probably the best fullback in the world, out to the wing. But it does give McKenzie, I guess, a chance to show his hand and perhaps some of his playmaking abilities and, and what should be a fairly tense test in Japan. And as far as TJ Pedernardo goes, well, Aaron Smith hasn't been the best this season. He's gone a little bit off the boil. And, um, and these, uh, the more confrontational defences that the All Blacks are coming up against in recent times, I think TJ Pedernardo, with his physicality and his size, is almost just sort of a, an extra loose forward. Can, can help the All Blacks in those situations. So he gets a deserved uh, start against you know, a really top-quality opposition rather than, say, starting against Argentina or someone lower down.
4: The decision to start Damian McKenzie, how much of a reflection on it is, uh, is the form of, of Geordie Barrett? Is he being told you, you haven't come up to expectation?
3: I think so, especially some of the mistakes he's made in recent times, the glaring error against South Africa and Wellington, which cost the All Blacks a try and essentially the game in that sense. Um, and he just hasn't quite lived up to some of the hype that surrounded him when he first entered the team. Um, we all know the qualities that he has, but he doesn't seem to be perhaps the game-breaker that someone like Damien McKenzie is or perhaps the second first-five playmaker on, on the blind side or the or the um, second- or third-phase play that McKenzie can provide. So it does seem that Barrett hasn't had his best international year, Geordie, and has fallen down the pecking order a bit after making you know, a pretty strong start to his international career. I mean, he's very young. He's got a long time ahead of him to get back there, and we know he's good under the high ball, he's good defensively, and he's solid, but perhaps he just doesn't offer as much as some of those other guys in that position.
4: You, you raised a good point there about Perinara and his ability to, to almost act as an extra loose forward. Do you think he's usurped um Aaron Smith, or is this a bit of a kick up the backside, of Aaron Smith, to, to say yeah. sort your your, your your stuff out?
3: I think it's probably the latter, considering how how big a role Aaron Smith has played in this development of the or evolution of the All Blacks game over the last few years. The speed of his pass off the ground is something that gives them an, an edge or, or, or an added bonus over other teams. Just getting the ball to the first five that quickly and the way that he runs to. Rucks is, is, was kind of revolutionary in terms of what a halfback can do so I don't think Pedernada has usurped Smith yet but this is certainly one or the second or the third warning from Hanson to, to, to Aaron Smith saying you need to bring your game back to the level it was at pre, at your previous best because TJ's now at a new level and perhaps he'll take your position at the World Cup
4: Is it a dead rubber? I mean what what do we? I mean, the rugby championships all, all sorted, the All Blacks have got that, the bled is low, locked away for another year um, how much of a you
3: know, dead rubber, is it, in a feat? Yeah, I guess, you know, it is in the sense there's nothing to play for. <laughs> but not so much in the sense that the All Blacks won't want to lose the last low like they did last year. There was perhaps a little lack of concentration, maybe looking forward to the end of year two or too much. They won't want that to happen again. And just to stay on top of their rivals ahead of next year's World Cup, the stadium is the stadium that will be used for the World Cup final next year. So it gives both teams to, I guess, claim a psychological victory at, at that stadium where they could, well, perhaps meet in the final next year. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it just gives the All Blacks a chance to make a strong start to a, to the end-of-year tour and then maintain those performances throughout what will be like a sort of imaginary World Cup campaign for them as they go towards England and Ireland.
4: On the domestic rugby front, we've got uh, domestic finals. We've got the Premiership, which is Auckland against Canterbury. We'll start with that. Um, Auckland, bit of a, a resurrection for them this season. How, how do you think? Things are, it might pan out there.
3: Yeah, a great season for the Blue and Whites after what was a horror season for the Blues in Super Rugby. So some, some some things to crow about for Auckland fans there. They've, they have been the former team this year. They've only had one loss, and that was to, funnily enough, Otago, who are in the second tier championship this season. So a small blip on the radar for them. They've already beaten Canterbury once this season. They've been remarkably consistent and they've got some game breakers and guys like Akira Ioane, Milani Nanai out wide and, and a few others in their team as well. So they go into this match as, as short favourites, or close favourites rather, against the Canterbury side who have won nine out of the last ten domestic rugby titles. So uh, the, the, the Aucklanders are favourites and deservedly so. They're playing at home in, what, in front of what should be a big crowd because they're giving away free tickets to the game to get as many Auckland fans as they can and probably not a bad thing considering how many they probably pushed away with the Blues season. Um, But Canterbury, it's hard to go past them when you look at that. Nine out of the last ten titles, a a team that won uh, last year's Premiership, they lost to Auckland by six points earlier this year, but they threw away two intercept tries. So, yeah, Canterbury will be very bullish about their chances too. So it should be a great match. And we know that that rivalry brings out the best in both teams.
4: And on the championship front, we've got Otago against Waikato. Otago, well, their season's already a bit of a success, isn't mm-hmm. it? They're finishing up with the Ranfurly Shield.
3: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite good that these two teams have made the final. They were probably the two best teams in the championship, so that's a fair reflection. And of course, Otago stunned Waikato and upset them two weeks ago in the Waikato's final home regular game of the season to steal the shield off them in their final defence. So... The Mulu won't be very happy about that, and they'll be looking to atone and gain some revenge, I guess, this weekend as well. But the bigger thing on the line is, of course, promotion to the Premiership, to the top-tier competition, which every team wants to be in. Waikato have been there many times before, and will be looking to get back after what's been a fairly consistent season for them, and Otago haven't been in the Premiership for six or seven years. So they've, they've, they're really desperate to get up there and, and get one. Not, that'll be their second win over Waikato in, in the last two games take the shield off them and then take their spot in the premiership which Waikato really want. So there's a lot on the line there and it should be quite a desperate game from both sides.
0: That was rugby reporter Joe Porter speaking to RNZ Sports Editor Stephen Houston about this weekend's international and domestic rugby action. The breach of trust by former Olympic champion Hamish Carter that exposed supposedly anonymous feedback comments on former national track cycling coach Anthony Peden is a reflection on the problems within the sport, says an organisation representing top-flight athletes. On Thursday, Carter resigned from his position with High Performance Sport New Zealand, after revealing he leaked information given to him as part of Cycling's review into its Rio Olympic campaign, where it won just one medal. A recent independent review identified a culture of bullying and lack of accountability within the programme. And the chair of the Athletes Federation, Rob Nickel, says the Carter situation only underscores that. Nicol says the bigger question is what's being done to make sure it doesn't happen again.
5: The thing I struggle with a little bit when I've read the, the different reports is that the environment in cycling's been that way for some time. And um, and and I wonder, you know, what role have the board and senior management played over the last two to three years and and you know, are they the right people moving forward? To, to sort the situation out, because everyone involved, including them, incidentally, you know, they want to see they want to see a positive, vibrant environment in which people are thriving, and clearly they've, they've struggled to achieve that at the time.
4: Although things do come down to a matter of trust, though, don't they? And Hamish Carter has obviously breached that trust.
5: Yeah, but, you know, you, once again, it's, it's more than just trust, even. You know, I think if you're looking in what we have learnt over a long period of time, and you know, maybe if I reflect on our learnings in rugby and some of the other environments, you know, it actually comes back around the, the, the trust has got to be based around something and it's around the purpose and the sense of reason or um, why you're coming together, what are you trying to achieve. One thing I will say um, around high performance sporting environments, when it comes to performing under pressure, you need people who are prepared to be honest with each other and feel that they're secure and safe and being able to speak honestly about how they feel about their own performance, how they feel about others' performances, and being able to hold each other to account.
4: Is it not easy, that, though, but it's in somewhat of a cop-out to say, that what I've done is the result of an environment rather than taking personal responsibility?
5: Well, I think that's where I have respect for Hamish. He's just put up his hand and he has taken responsibility. He feels he, he made a mistake. He's let people down and he's acknowledged that. And, yeah, it's more and, than a mistake, you know, though, isn't Madonna, it? It's a, it's he's, a breach he's of trust. He stood aside. Yeah, and but it's no, more
4: than just a mistake. It's a bre- it's huge breach of
5: trust. And, and he's, he's put his hand up and taken responsibility for that situation, which, once again, you know, I respect him for doing that. And I think plenty of people will. Although he's, not, the, the he's not fronting question, about it, though, is he? The question is to make sure and to say, OK, well, um, what's been done to make sure that people don't find themselves in that situation in the future?
4: He, he's not fronting about it, though. I mean, he's put out a statement. I mean, that's very easy to do, and it would suggest that the old boys club has, has moved around him, and, and, which Michael Heron spoke of in his report, and moved around to, to protect him.
5: Stephen, that's your call and that's up to you. It's not, I, I'm not across that, I'm not around it. It's not hmm. part of the club you refer to. So, look, all I've done, like everyone out there, is I've read the statement that Hamish put out with following the decision that he's made. I guess the reason I'm talking to you is you are asking my perspective around really does it finish with the individuals that have been singled out in the report or is there another angle to it? And I think there is another angle. Hmm. And I think that angle is, is that the people that govern those environments and manage those environments, need to step up and accept some responsibility alongside some of these individuals. Uh, but but and they need to take that responsibility and they need to look at themselves in the mirror and say, have we been doing a good enough job? And moving forward, are we confident we are going to be able to do the job that is required?
4: Caught in the middle of all of this, though, are the athletes, aren't they? Does Hamish Carter need to apologise individually to them?
5: Uh, a question for him once again. I, you know, like at the end of the day, from our perspective as, a, as, a, as an Athletes' Federation, as a Player Association, you know, person working in those associations representing athletes, um, you know, the, the, one of the struggles we have is we don't have a mandate to represent the cyclists. The cyclists don't have their own independent organisation. They don't have a seat, a formalised seat at the decision-making table. So it's it's really difficult for them to be able to galvanise themselves and be part of the conversation. And, you know, maybe that's something that the Board of Cycling New Zealand and senior management need to look at and say, well, you know, have we actually got a structure and support in place to ensure our athletes are part of this conversation? Because to answer your question, you kind of need the athlete's voice and they don't actually have a voice.
0: New Zealand Athletes Federation Chair Rob Nicol there talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. The Black Caps have arrived in Dubai for their first international match in seven months. The tour is the first assignment for new coach Gary Stead, who replaced Mike Hessen after he stepped down after six years in the role. The Black Caps will play three T20 games against Pakistan, along with three one-day internationals and three tests. Stead has officially been in the role for two months, and he spoke to sports editor Stephen Hewson just before the side departed about how he was adjusting to the new job.
6: The guys are excited, we haven't played together as a team for about seven months, so um, yeah, there's a lot of excitement in the group. The last six or seven weeks have been sort of based at home predominantly. I mean we've been getting getting around the country and bit to do a few things. But um now now you head overseas and, and, and we're starting to play cricket. So yeah, it's getting really, really
4: close. What what has that sort of seven or eight weeks been for you? What what's been your focus over that period?
6: Um, a, a few things. We've we've had a camp, we've um it's been really about relationship building with, with people and, and understanding just the Black Caps environment, environment a wee bit more, and, and then also I guess in, in places it'll be putting my spin on things as well. So I had lots of conversations with a number of different people, and I, it's really just been about meeting people and understanding how, how they like to operate.
4: How did you find that? I mean, did, did it throw up anything that you perhaps may not have been aware of previously?
6: Oh, you always find out new things that, that, that go on, but I, I don't think there was anything that was really took me by surprise at all. Um, I've been lucky enough to have a month with the the black cats in the past, and and um, being being sort of in in their camp and environment, so um, I think that that really helped me to have a have an understanding, I guess, or a grounding of of what was to be expected. So. I wouldn't say there's anything that's really thrown me or, or I guess, things that I've seen that are unexpected.
4: What might the side notice about a Gary Stead coach team that that may be a little different from previous?
6: Um, Oh, I think you should ask them that in two or three months' time, maybe after a tour. But, um, look, I'm I'm well organised, as as I know Mike Heston was as well. I like to be pretty hands-on and and get in there and and help out in the nets and, and be... I guess active and, and um, engaged in, in seeing their performance improvement. And I mean, that's, that's ultimately what I, I can do is I can help control them to, to be in the right frame of mind and, and be as good as they can be. Um, and that's, that's what I'll aim to do with each and every class.
4: Does, are you likely to be a little more hands on than Mike Hessen?
6: Oh, I think Hess was hands on at times, but I, I mean, every coach does it in a different way. and um again only time I guess will tell I, I have to read the situation and, and see what's in front and understand where the where the leaders actually take a big lead as well and, and you get I guess you get um, strength and numbers as well and we've got a really good team that I know want to to do well for each other and I've just got to try and facilitate that to happen.
4: as you mentioned seven months since the last game how much uh, adapting is that going to take for, for the side
6: uh, It's going to take some I mean uh, it hasn't been all completely with no cricket at all. There's been guys in the IPL and in the Canadian leagues and things like that. So there have been people still playing cricket at, at various times, um, and we've had a number of camps uh, over the winter as well. So, but the key thing now is getting together as a team. Um, we've got the Australian and Pakistan series that we can we can lean on to to watch and to I guess analyze and see what's worked well and what hasn't and, and what's the likely. I guess plan of attack that Pakistan will have against us as well.
4: What's the the biggest challenge for the side on this tour?
6: I mean, whenever you go to I guess subcontinent type conditions, it's really just dealing with the heat and the, the differences from home. And um, we've tried really hard in our in our camps to produce wickets that we think will be similar um, to the wickets over in the UAE. And it's just just that adapting to something that's a little bit different and a little bit foreign to what we, I guess you would consider the norm here in New
0: Zealand. Black Caps coach Gary Stead talking to Stephen Dewson. And that's all we have time for on Extra Time this week. As always, we welcome your feedback, which you can send to us via email sport at radioNZ.co.nz. And to keep up with all the latest in the sporting world, check us out on the web at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash sport or by giving us a follow on Twitter through our handle, at RNZsport. Until next week, I'm Clay Wilson, wishing you a great weekend. Botox
5: Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.